Attention listeners across the galaxy, all the way from Australia to Houston, do we have a pew problem? If so, our friends at Manscaped have cleared you for takeoff with their fourth generation and brand new Lawnmower 4.0. Kick your pubes to the next planet with the Performance Package 4.0. The orbits in your pants will feel like you're in zero gravity when you use the best tools for the job from the leaders in male grooming. Join the 2 million men worldwide who trust Manscaped and get your rocket ready for takeoff by going to manscaped.com for 20% off and free shipping with the code MANAGINGMADRID. Are you ready for an out-of-world experience, fellas? Look no further than the Performance Package 4.0 from Manscaped. It's just taken off in not only the USA, but Canada, the UK, across Europe, Australia, South Africa, and Singapore. Inside the package, you'll find their Lawnmower 4.0 trimmer, weed whacker, ear and nose hair trimmer, crop preserver ball deodorant, crop reviver toner, performance boxer briefs, and a travel bag to hold your whole solar system. The Lawnmower 4.0 trimmer is a spaceship ready to guide you on a journey to trim your body, balls, butt, and even your anus. Get 20% off and free shipping with the code MANAGINGMADRID at manscaped.com. That's 20% off and free shipping with the code MANAGINGMADRID at manscaped.com. Your dick and balls need some help for a clean trinity and beyond. Your space balls will thank you. This episode is also brought to you by Bisha Hotel in Toronto. That's B-I-S-H-A, Bisha Hotel in Toronto, which is an upscale lifestyle experience. It's where you should be booking your stay when you come see us for the Managing Madrid podcast live in Toronto on Saturday, October 23rd. It is the El Clasico. It is an El Clasico podcast, rather, and it's going to be a ton of fun held at the Flatiron Firkin Pub if you want tickets to that the details are on the show notes. You can click on it. By the way, Bisha Hotel in Toronto, it is in the center of all the action. It opened in November 2017, and it is the newest flashy star attraction in the heart of the entertainment district. Walking through the entrance of the Bisha Hotel, you will be greeted by a sexy lobby with black marble floors and crushed black velvet walls. Bisha is the vision of Charles Chabeth and Lifetime Developments, who serve up an upscale lifestyle experience at their first hotel, and this 44 luxury hotel has 96 hotel rooms and suites and 355 residential condos. B-I-S-H-A, B-I-S-H-A, Bisha Hotel in Toronto. Book your stay in Toronto there. Also, uh, we just finalized detail for our Los Angeles podcast. It's being held at 33 Taps. If you want in on that, that is also in the show notes. So these following cities, Los Angeles, Toronto, Dallas, New York City, Miami, London, Washington, D.C., Chicago, Illinois, and Mumbai. If you are anywhere close to those cities, come see us. This is the Managing Major Podcast World Tour. We're not coming back to any of these places ever again. This is your chance. Book your spot quickly, especially the ones coming up. Los Angeles is this month. It's creeping up. And uh, my God, the guests in attendance of that one on stage and also just in the attendance you're gonna be blown away so book your spot quickly telling you quickly like the room we booked it in we had to expand the room because the attendance and uh i don't like i think i have to check i think maybe we have 10 spots left and uh you really have like no no time to book you should book asap it's time. It's crunch time. You got to book. You got to book. You don't want to miss this opportunity. It's going to be a huge party. It's the only time we're going to be in California. So just drive up if you're and, and book. Like now, if you're listening to this, go now and book. If you're at California, Vegas, anywhere driving distance, book now. Don't wait. Don't put it off until tomorrow. Book now. You don't want to miss it. 
Uh, tonight's podcast, by the way, is a Las Blancas podcast. Um, myself, Keon Subani, I'm away this weekend. I took the advantage of Real Madrid's game being postponed to next week to just unplug, go to a cottage for the last time with my family because uh, once this world tour kicks off, between the world tour and being in Madrid in between for being back at the games finally, uh, basically this is my last chance. So uh, I'm going to turn my brain off for a couple days and that's the most I've ever turned my brain off, I think. So uh, I'm going to go do that and you guys enjoy this podcast with Grant and Um. And head over to patreon.com slash Madrid for access to the Tuesday, Thursday, and other bonus shows. Okay, love you guys. Oh, hala Madrid, let's go. Nice article in the Managing Madrid uh, blog. They're wonderful lads that do a great job there. And worth reading about that man there. So he less happy edition of Las Blancas podcast. I'm your host, Om Arvin, and I'm joined by Grant Little. We are here to break down in our little therapy session, Real Madrid Femenino's absolutely humiliating 4-0 loss to Levante in the league opener, this coming off the back of a very promising 1-1 draw versus Manchester City, where we were by far the better team. So many good vibes. We were flying the mood on that previous podcast is going to be completely opposite to the one or it, or yeah, it's going to be completely opposite to the one we we're, we're going to have now because it's just night and day, those performances. And I think brings us back down to earth, right? I, I don't know if this necessarily means that what happened versus city is like a lie or something, but that, we still have a long way to go if we want to consider ourselves at elite level. Yes, you're second last season. Yes, we, we would be expected to be second again. We got stronger. We took three of Levante's best players and Esther, Rocio, and Claudia, who all started, and yet we just got absolutely battered and smashed. And I know our physical level, and we'll talk about it, didn't look good, but guess what? Levante played Leon a day after we played Manchester City and uh, they also have a couple injury issues themselves, and they looked a lot better than us. So a bit of a wake-up call. I think a good, a, just sending a good message to us, right? Like, we want to retain our, our Champions League qualification spots. Remember, there's only two because Barca are going to be first. We, we got to pick up our level in the league. We can't take any match for granted, especially not versus Levante. Even if they supposedly got weaker, they were third last season, only four points behind us. I mean, we got to come in with the exact same intensity and ferocity that we did versus City. If we don't, we could get wiped to the floor because this is a good league. And I think an important message that was sent there. And then also just, I think, good for the image of the league as a whole, right? Like, <laughs> basically, Barca is the only one who, who, who can walk into any match thinking, oh, we already got the three points because they're that good. Everyone else, now nah, you do that and you're in big trouble. And I think that's what we saw today. So before we get into all of that, Grant, your thoughts on the starting lineup? There was quite a bit of debate about this because obviously we played City midweek. We're going to play City September 8th, three days from now. So we went with the 4-4-2. A lot of the same players that featured versus City 
with basically the exception Corderas playing in attack and you have Lucia playing instead of Kenti Robles because Olga has been dropped to left back and it's, it's essentially the same 11. Um, and then Claudia Zornoza has come in for Kasi. So those are the rotations. How do you feel about that, especially in the context of the fact that we kind of have an injury crisis at the moment? Yeah, I think rotations were to be expected. I think this lineup would have been fine if, like a logical person, Cordero played left back and Olga was in the same position she played against City. But, you know, Osnar thinks that was never going to happen. I was not happy about um, Cordero playing in the attacking slash midfield role, I think, against a team like Levante. They're going to be able our midfield's going to struggle against Levante no matter what. Levante's a good team. They're coached well. And then when you have someone who just doesn't understand midfield positioning and how to work with the other two midfielders to make it like a sound midfield that's rotating properly on offense and defending well on defense, like that's just a huge, huge issue. And I think we'll probably have a conversation about our lack of midfield depth, especially in the absence of Maite, but that was not a, that was not a good place to start the match in my opinion. Yeah. So I heard a lot of people like wanting the four, three, three and stuff like that. And I think it's understandable, especially knowing that Levante probably have a plan to pressure the double pivot. They weren't going a super high press, but they were definitely contesting us about mid high defensive line of engagement, not making it easy for the central midfielders to receive. And normally that's kind of what I want, just given the track record of how the double pivot has looked when we need to play with the ball and control more in possession, because this was not going to be the same game. Even if we came in with a similar intensity, it wasn't going to be the same game of like everything being decided on duels. And I don't think that's a sustainable way to play every single game anyway, especially not with, with our type of personnel. So I understand that, but when we only have three fit central midfielders, which is Kasi, Zornoza, Teresa, because my day is hurt, you, I, I don't think we really have a choice. You got to go with the double pivot because you need one central midfielder rested for City. I think that's just a reality and one thing you have to live with with the players at hand. Now, I think the thing to critique is why on earth are we looking to contest on all three fronts right? The Copa, the league, and the Champions League with only four central midfielders. We've been talking about lacking a defensive midfielder for a very long time. The only noise we heard was that we're going, we were in for Keira Hamraoui, who we lost. And after that, there didn't really, I mean, I've not heard much. It, I, it seems that apparently we're still kind of looking around, but certainly not with the speed and decisiveness that we picked up other targets and that we've apparently gone in for a backup goalkeeper now that Gerard is injured and it's just curious to me because I think it's a massive hole in the squad now I, I know it's not this simple but the fact that Maitane who is probably the best defensive midfielder in the league outside of Hati Giharo went to our rivals at Leti and it didn't I, I mean nothing I know showed that we were we, we tried to contest for her signature which feels like a massive misstep to me and I think you can kind of see it and today where, okay, we have these kind of squashed schedule to start the season. One central midfielder is injured. And because of that, all of a sudden it limits our tactical options and our formational, your ability to switch formations and stuff like that. I mean, that's not good enough, right? I mean, despite all the signings we made, the fact that we still have that clear hole, it's 
I mean, it's going to hurt us. There's no way around it. I think today was an example, if a dramatic one where all basically every single problem that could happen came together. So there's that. And then, I mean, my other issue is what you kind of touched upon Grant, which we, we go on all about all the time was core there in offense. I don't know how much more there is to say, if you want a starter, just player at left back, you have Olga on, on the wing. I, I don't really get it at this point. She's a negative on offense. It's pretty undebatable. And if you wanted to play Olga at left back, I don't care how rusty Caroline Muller Hansen is. She could be like not ready at all. She's gonna be she's gonna provide more impact than Core there, you know, out wide. So yeah. I mean, why can't we start Lorena? Exactly. Or, you know, we we talked to Issa kind of about Claudia Florentino being able to play that defensive midfield role. Why have we not seen that? Well, I mean, she's out. She's she's not included in the squad, so that's I, another thing. I thought she was in the squad today. Maybe I'm wrong. But, but like, this is an option that we need to look for for the rest of the season when she gets healthy. Because even with Maite back, like, we need, need, need another player to be playing in the midfield. And whether it's just against, you know, quote-unquote smaller teams or teams that are going to give us less of a challenge – we need somebody to take the minutes and because we didn't sign anyone, I think Claudia Florentino has to be, you know, making that transition to being more of a midfield player right now than she is a defensive player. Yeah. So I went back and checked and she was not in the squad. I think she's the one player that that's my, no one, no one is really sure why she's not in. I mean, we know Cardona has injuries. We know Aslani has the COVID thing. We know Malena is recovering from her long-term injury. We know Gerard has a broken finger. Claudia Florentino, to my knowledge, and to what I've seen from the people who know more than me, like Isa and Juan, I mean, maybe they know now, but a couple of days ago, they didn't really have an idea why Claudia wasn't included. She wasn't included versus City either. So yeah, I mean, we come in with extremely limited options, and therefore, I don't have that many qualms about why there wasn't more rotation, because we just... I mean, there, there really couldn't be, especially in midfield. And really, I mean, just whether the midfield three is better than double pivot, like there's, we could roll out in like the worst formation ever. And there's really no excuse for the display we had versus Levante. And so that's the thing. I don't, we, we criticize Osnar all the time. And I don't think Osnar is particularly great. I'm on record saying that, though we'll talk about how I think maybe Irene influences assistant coach or whatever seems to be filtering through a little bit but yeah I mean this is not Osnar apologia but ultimately what we saw today is on the players above everyone else when it's this bad when you're this outclassed when the ele- when we have the superior 11 and you're making basic fundamental mistakes and everything just seems to fall apart in the second half I mean, the players didn't show up. They weren't focused. They didn't execute in any you know, remotely acceptable way. And again, like you, I think you can still criticize some of the things Osnar did, but we've seen plenty of times, right? Us grind through Osnar's improper decisions because we know the level and talent of the players. And they, they didn't remotely show us what kind of level they of players we have. And it's not to say that they should consistently have to fight through you know, poor decisions or something like that. But it's not that hard to analyze a performance when it's this bad. 
when it's this bad, no one showed up and everyone played terribly. Maybe there were a couple we can talk about who saved their hives with some of the things that they did. But aside from like two players, I think everyone else was pretty abominable. And this is one to forget. This is one to, I mean, if we're going to remember it at all, it's to be like, we need to come in serious. And there's a lot of good Real Madrid DNA things about this team. One thing I don't want them to pick up is that, oh, focus really hard in the Champions League and then come back to the league and kind of treat it as like the second order priority. Because if we do that, we're we're going to get we're going to get thrashed by like Levante, by Real Sociedad, who are not that far off our level, right? Like they're still pretty competitive with us, even if I'd say we're better. So I don't know if we necessarily need to go in a super ordered manner because this entire game is just mess after mess and we can just touch upon points as they come. But let's start with Levante's goal because that happened extremely early on the fourth minute and I think kind of signaled what was to come both in terms of Real Madrid's level, but also what I think we need to give credit for is Levante played a really good game, right? Like to get this kind of scoreline and for it to be absolutely deserved, not only comes from one team playing really badly, but the other team executing at a high level. So Grant, if you could just take us through what you thought of that first goal and how you think it was representative of, of the way both sides were going to play. Yeah. I mean, this was, I think the, the best goal, although there were some better finishes, just the movement, from Levante was really nice came from building out of the back they were able to play through our midfield multiple line breaking passes quick one two touch passes when they get into the final third ultimately Toletti gets the ball kind of in this area to the right of the top of the, the center top of the 18 and Alba Redondo makes a nice slashing run in between Rocio and Ivana Coletti plays the ball through and Redondo has, you know, she can finish just about anywhere. She's in this area where Misa has to kind of come out, but she can't come out quick enough to close any of the angles. She just sides, flips it into the near post. And right there, you knew that it was going to be a tough game because that was a brilliant sequence, but the defending was also atrocious from the start. And yeah, it just got worse from there. Yeah, there's no mincing words here. Our defending was fucking awful. It, it was horrendous. And the film session after that, hopefully we have a bloody film session after that, is going to be kind of brutal. And there's a lot of people that are going to be at fault. And fundamentally, I, I, it's just so easy to tell that we were not locked in and we were not on the same wavelength because we were not doing, from our general defensive structure, it was not too dissimilar to what we were doing versus Manchester City, trying to control the pivot with and two center backs with two strikers, which we did really excellently versus city. And anytime the city tried to play vertically, play that wall pass into Vicky Lasada and then comb in the second half. I still don't really know how to pronounce her name properly. Apologies for that, but the midfield, it was our, our lines were so compact. Teresa Kasi were just instant coming out to recover. And in this first goal, what we have is that three versus two, you know, we're barely covering it adequately. Naikar is not really stepping onto the right center back quickly enough, but she kind of goes there. Bigger issue is okay. They then kind of play a nice pass to break lines. 
And then the wall pass goes and finds Irene, who's in the, who's who's the pivot in this situation that Esther's covering, and she loses Esther. She receives, and that's just a very classic way of of playing in behind a sort of defensive structure like that. And you see the midfield line when you freeze the the, the film is just so disconnected from the front two. And when it's like that, it's going to be incredibly easy to bypass, especially when Levante are playing with these types of mechanisms and automatisms at the speed and precision that they were. It's just, I mean, it's easy, easy lunch for, for a side like Levante. And so they, they kind of play that wall pass around, finds it NA. And so Teresa kind of comes half-heartedly to step out. And I mean, she's nowhere near the ball. And maybe if Levante dallied and took a bunch of touches, we'd be fine. But they weren't in that sort of mood. It was a one-touch, two-touch switch to the far side before Tere can get anywhere near the ball. And because Tere steps up, Atenea has to come inside a little bit, and she's not there to the switch. So that happens. They rotate back to the center. The runner on the far side takes Atenea with her as Atenea is like scrambling to recover, right? No, no organization. Players just kind of going, you know, just trying to react randomly to, to threats. And they come back to the center and you, you just have a bunch of options between the lines for Levante. You freeze the film again. We have basically no midfield line. Tere somewhere, Atenea somewhere, Zornoza and Cora there are on the far side and they're, they're nowhere near enough to kind of recover and help out. And Levante just play nice, quick, one-touch, short passes through the right side of her defense. And then it's Toletti, I think, who then plays a really neat pass, neat through ball, right? So after all, when you break lines, you use all those mechanisms to get into a block, you need a run in behind to capitalize on it and finish it off. And Redondo provides that perfect blindside run on Ivana, who once, once you're in that position, there's not that much that defender can do. It's can the other defender come to recover or can there be an amazing interception? But the pass was too accurate. Redondo's run was too good. And I mean, Rocio was just nowhere near her. Redondo times it perfectly. Great one versus one finish. And it's a textbook type goal of how to take advantage of poor defensive structure. So maybe on another day or against the worst team, Real Madrid might get away with playing so badly defensively because the opposition's passing and movement isn't so crisp. But that was not today. Levante were on it. They smelt blood after that. And boy... They still scored three goals, but there are plenty of other moments where they just broke through us like that. And we were a bit lucky not to concede. I think Ivana, despite the disaster we had defensively, saved us a bunch of times. And I don't think she had a perfect game by any means, but she's one of the two players I think that can walk away not feeling totally embarrassed because she had a number of like classic interventions stepping up and such to to prevent us from, from conceding and and giving in space in behind because our midfield line was all over the place. Yeah, and, and this goal just showed all of the weaknesses that we were not going to adjust and remedy throughout this entire match. That spacing between the lines was horrible. And in this goal, you see Teresa have to step up because these midfielders are in so much space. They can either take the space forward or they have all these different passing lanes. And so one... So get through the line. You have all this space. Teresa has to step to put pressure on the ball. But 
then this causes the it's like the domino effect the chain reaction of the entire defense getting unorganized and this just happened repeatedly throughout the entire match the defense collapsed in on itself there were no, there were no real semblance of lines throughout the entire match we made it super super easy for Levante to do exactly what they wanted to do, which is to be able to pass through us, poke and prod, and then ultimately exploit the spaces. And we just handed them those spaces. We didn't make it difficult for them at all in any moments, really. I think you talk about Ivana having a good game. I think the other person that you're probably thinking of is Teresa. I think without her recoveries and ability in midfield to kind of break some of this up single-handedly, this game could have been a lot worse. We just handed them transition opportunity after transition opportunity. And it was just the most unorganized I've seen this team since like, I don't even know when. Yeah. This is one of the worst performances I've easily seen from this team. And I don't say that lightly. I don't say it in a reactionary fashion. This is the worst loss we have ever faced. I think adjusting for level of opposition, there's the four nil and four one losses to Barca let's not count the Takan days for now, just because that was like, I, we were not a team that really was expected to be competitive at, at the level to where, you know, an eight nil or nine, one loss against Barca was unexpected or something. So just taking into account after that era where we had a much stronger team, we, we expected to, to be competing in the champions league spots. This is easily our worst defeat. I, I just think from a scoreline perspective, only Barca has put this many past us. No one else has come close on goal difference total. Like, I mean, we got wrecked. This was a horrible performance. And it, it's one of those where, like, hopefully it's just an anomaly, right? And the team can brush it off. But it, it's just, like, where did this come from? Like, there's no way, there's no reason this team should be playing that poorly. So Teresa was kind of the other player I was thinking of who can walk away with some with her head held up high at least to a degree or not like at least completely down in shame because she was solving a lot of issues defensively or I wouldn't say solving but like barely dealing with in some occasions with it was like putting out fires yeah putting out fires that were just raging everywhere like putting out fires with her palm she didn't even have water right because no one was just bringing it was like a dumpster fire and she was like taking mcdonald's bags and like patting them out yeah, I mean, it was it wasn't good while 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 she's receiving smoke inhalation, and, and yeah, it, so the the thing is that I everyone was bad, so I don't mean to like pick on her, but I think in this type of environment where collectively we're completely off, I think you can tell that Zornoza's individual defensive ability is a bit weak. I think people have talked about her being a, de- a defensive midfielder for us. I. I, I, that, I mean, I, I don't think Osnar sees it that way. It was interesting that when Teresa and Maite are usually paired together, Maite is always the deepest player. But today, Zornoza was the more advanced player in possession, which I found interesting. And I, I mean, so that's just not going to happen. So I'm not worried about it. But just clarifying, Zornoza, I would say, is the weakest defensive player out of our four central midfielders. And with Maite, she's not a classic destroyer or anything, but... I feel like it's actually a strength, right? Ball winning of hers. Like she's actually pretty good in duels. Teresa, every single game I watch, watch her, she looks better and better and more physically dominant in duels. Kasi, obviously that's what she's known for at Real Madrid. But Zornoza, 
turn pretty easily multiple times, like doesn't go in with a lot of ferocity. She, I mean, she has decent positional sense. She'll come in with interceptions a lot of times, but in this type of environment where lines are all over the place and you need like heroes to save you, I thought Zornoza got pretty exposed. And I think that's just the surest sign that the organization is off because I think otherwise a Teresa Zornoza double pivot should be generally secure because Teresa is a good ball winner, even if you're lacking a true destroyer and it just was not. And Zornoza would like, she barely won anything and they got it, got it behind her in the space again and again. So, yeah, I, I mean, I don't really mean to single her out there, but I think that was like such a clear sign that the organization was off, which is why I think even if you put Kasi in there, we might have more heroic interventions, but it's the same thing ultimately. I just think when a weaker individual is exposed to that degree, you really see like, my God, we can't collectively, we can't hide anything, right? Like there's no collective solution here. It's just individual battles everywhere, which is like 1950s type football. So like, yeah, I mean, it was, it was not good at all. And I, it's, I, I mean, I think we've even over, overanalyzed it too much because when, when it's this bad, it's just that it's this bad. And yeah, there'll probably be a film session because you just have to to look at how bad those goals were and like kind of ram it into the players' heads. But ultimately, I think the bigger thing is just like, you know, communicating that this is obviously unacceptable and then finding a way to like move forward in kind of a productive manner. Like using this as a real lesson, right? We got arrogant. You know, we thought we were hot shit because we drew versus Manchester City and, you know, all the attention was on us and we were like, oh man, we're like superstars and shit. Nah, you got to come back and focus. Otherwise a quality side like Levante will do you in the way, the way that happened. Where do you want to go from here, Grant? Obviously we have three more goals to talk about. I think let's just quickly, because there was really no offense in the second half. I don't know what we're going to talk about with that, but first half, what did you think about us offensively beyond the fact that it was bad? Was, was there anything there you saw that was interesting? What wasn't working beyond the fact that players just weren't making passes or, or, or is that just it, right? Like if they're that off defensively, they're also that off offensively. Yeah. So, I mean, the first thing is just kind of, we could not pass. The passes were off. The touches were off. The movement was off. Everything was off. But I also thought Levante did a pretty good job limiting our central progression. They were in a 4-4-2, 4-2-3-1 at times, it looked like to me. And they had a really easy time eliminating service to Zornosa and Tere because of like the numerical advantage that they have and Corridera wasn't really helping out Ateneo was up the field more so it was basically two on three in that that first confrontational line but they also had those two deeper lying midfielders who could come in and clean up if they needed to and then so so we basically have to go wide which is what Levante wanted and were prepared to do. So they shift wide. They also have that extra defender of the out-of-bounds line. And they're really just able to pin us and make us predictable so that we weren't able to progress centrally. We didn't have variance. It was all basically long balls over the top or trying to find Athenea or Esther in space with ground passes still going long. I think it was, it was a solid defensive plan. And with... Real Madrid being so off they didn't really have to have a plan B you know normally if maybe 
Teresa Zornosa or Maite, if she's healthy, can play through that a bit with their individual quality, with their movement. But I think that Teresa and Zornosa kind of got in each other's way at times. And were like, I think you tweeted that they were kind of vertically cutting each other out where they were lined up with each other. So it was only one option. Um, and so, yeah, we just made it predictable and easy for them to defend. And on the day, we didn't have the individual quality. Like, obviously, we have the individual quality to kind of get through some of those things. But nobody played to their level today. And we weren't able to create out of nothing like we've seen Cardona do or even Esther or some of these other players that we've seen do it early in the season. So not much positive to say about that offensive performance. I think there were like underlying execution issues that when that's the case, I mean, no matter what is going to be really difficult, but I agree, right? Like Avante threw a solid defensive game plan at us, as you described, and there just wasn't much. I always have some questions about the double pivot and can we really build the right structure using it to, to play adequately through a defense? I don't know if this is the game that really answers that in any real way this season, because when we're this bad, there's not much you can take away besides the fact that we were bad. So like what I was saying actually about like Teresa, Claudia not being in line, not that I think it was perfect and there were definitely issues. I actually liked that it wasn't just a flat horizontal line. And there's like a little bit of staggering. So Zornoza going up a little higher just so that if it's always this flat horizontal line, it just becomes super easy to press what's essentially like people call a box midfield. And there needs to be a little bit of variation. So like the way we also see that did it last season was like almost creating like situational three player midfields with someone from the front line dropping off and like almost creating a three player midfield look. And we weren't quite doing that. So like it was a bit of like a diagonal line between Teresa Zornoza, which just may, might push one midfielder back, right? Create more space for Teresa to operate. But I thought maybe one of Esther or Naikari when you're doing that needs to drop off way more to complete that. So like there was a little bit of it where I thought just trying to isolate solely to that, that maybe that gives me some hope with the double pivot. Go, going into this next season when we can actually play decently, but I'm not sure. I don't know how much to take away from that. I just know like not always having it in a flat line is a sign of a good thing, but obviously there's so much more that needs to be happen that, that needs to happen for, for me to consider like a box midfield slash double pivot build up to, to be viable. And we'll just have to see how it goes throughout the rest of the games. But yeah, I mean, by no means saying that, it was a positive performance, passes all over the place. Whatever chemistry it looked like we had in preseason versus City, not there. And when nothing's going through midfield, what do we do? We, we just pump it out wide and look for one versus ones down the flank. And so that everything was going into Athenea because Corradera is on the other side. She's not going to offer much. So it just felt like we had a one-wing attack, basically. And given how disorganized everything was, it's not like Olga really had the time to get up there. And when she did, they just killed the space in behind because we couldn't get it accurately. So it was funny when we saw, there was a moment where Athena and Cordera switched for a couple of minutes. And so Athena was on the left and it just kind of felt like to me, like Athena had to do the job of two people. And I, I mean, I know switching is a normal thing, but it's like, okay, we had the threat on the right-hand side. Now it's time for her to do the work on the left-hand side. And yeah, I mean, when nothing is working build-up wise and you have like basically a player who adds nothing you know, in offense, it's going to be a really tough day. And 
all, all I'll say is I think Esther showed like good fight and was one of the few players who was able to help us bring the ball out from midfield at any moment whatsoever. I don't think she had a great game, but she was present. And this is kind of what we talked about on the last podcast. She's that type of player, that type of striker who can drop off, make things happen, battle for the ball. And there were like four or five moments where she did that. And it was like, it gave us some thing. It gave us an entry to the final third, even though nothing happened. So I would say there's only really two really good players or not really good players, but two players who, who showed like real quality on the day, but like Esther, I think showed something. Naikari was basically absent, which I'm not that surprised. She's not as assertive a player. And if you're not going to, you're not going to feed service up to the top. It's, I mean, you're not going to see her. And I feel like we kind of need to sort out the dynamic between them, which will take time. But because there's a sense with me, like, people see Naikari as like the link up player. And a lot of times you actually see Esther leading the point of the attack, but most of the time there are touches deep from that forward line. It's Esther dropping off, despite the fact that nominally she's the one leading the point of the attack. And I don't know exactly where everyone's views are on that, but I think people actually want that. But just for me, even though Naikari, I think is a really efficient link up player. And honestly, like that's what you need because I think Esther takes too much time on the ball when she's coming deep and she can dilly dally. Ultimately, I think Esther's like just her stylistic profile is actually more suited to dropping off. Whereas Naikari is better suited holding the line just because she's, she's just a bit more disciplined and will stay in place, but it's a bit of a weird one again, because Naikari is just, she's quicker. She's more decisive. And obviously Esther is like a huge goal scoring threat. She's good in the box. So I, I just think that dynamic needs to be sorted out, whether they're swapping in an organized fashion or one is doing one thing, the other is doing the other more consistently, probably something to look at going forward because it is, is a bit inconsistent now. And in a game like this, where we really need one of them to, to come big, you know, dropping off and help, help things come through towards the attack, I think it'll be beneficial, but that's just something to keep an eye on going forward. Yeah. Just to add something to the Esther conversation we've got to find another player who can get into the box and get on the end of service. I know that we have a really odd sample size with this game that was just like a failure of epic proportion and a very tough game against Manchester City. But I don't think other than Esther, I think we've had one shot in the box that didn't come from her. And it was the Kenty Robles equalizer in the 92nd minute. Basically, every other shot that has happened in a competitive game has been a long shot or an Esther shot in the box. We, I mean, teams are going to figure this out and they're going to try and just mark Esther out of the game because we have no other options going forward at the moment. I know we don't have Cardona. I know we don't have Aslani, but we still have a lot of quality and we need to figure out how we can get them in the ball in those kind of situations because right now, like, if you're, if I'm wrong in remembering this, let me know, but I can't think of a shot other than Kenty Robles's that wasn't Esther's in the box. There was one Naikari header that was okay. a bit limp into the keeper's hands, but that was about it. And I think maybe that's also kind of what you lose without Cardona. I mean, I know she's a long shot merchant as well, but she just kind of gets off shots from everywhere. And then Aslani, of course. I, I think I'm not super worried about the long term because Naikari is would be someone to supplement that. And if Aslani rotates in, she would as well. I just think 
the kinks of that partnership need to really be kind of ironed out. Like who fits what general role better? And if you just feel like they both have strengths kind of equally split apart, and, but although in different ways, I think the, the rotations between them just needs to be managed a bit more intelligently because at the moment, it just kind of feels like Naikari fading a little bit. What, even if she's like nominally starting deeper than Esther, she doesn't get more touches deeper. And then she's not getting any shots in the box as we're talking about. So I, I just think that that needs to be sorted out because on paper, I think they're a fine partnership, but I think it is a little bit more complicated than, oh, they're two talented strikers. It's just going to happen. I think a little bit of coaching needs to be done there, or we're just kind of banking on their chemistry building over time and it, and it working out, which, you know, that very well may happen. They're two very talented footballers, but I think we need to accelerate the process a little more. Yeah. So, and, and this can kind of apply to the, to the team as a whole too. You know, we have, was it eight signings this window? It's going to take a little time before we see the best form of this team. That's a lot of additions to add into the team to add into a starting lineup. Not that all eight are sliding in there, but there's a good portion that are, and just trying to get that chemistry, trying to figure everything out in these really high intensity, close schedule games. So we need to obviously figure it out as quick as possible, but I don't think it's surprising that we see kind of these inconsistencies early in the season between the two matches. Yeah. I guess that was kind of a more interesting tangent to go on than just kind of bashing the team because there's really nothing else to say, but let's dig into the second half. We still have to quickly go over three more goals that Levante scored. So second half, I'm just trying to remember where, were there subs, right? Yeah. Yeah. So there were, or no. So there was a sub for Levante, right? At the start of the second half where Aldana Cometti came on for Sylvia Loris. And then in the 52nd minute, which was pretty soon, I mean, I don't know why we just didn't start off this way. Kenti Robles comes on for Lucia Rodriguez, and then Aureli Kasi comes on for Corradera. So this is the shift to a 4-3-3, which is what people were calling for. And then two minutes later, Levante score. So before we get to the goal, did, did you like those subs? I had a similar take on like if you're gonna put him in in like the 50 50 second minute why didn't we just start the half with him it, it's less of like a transition I feel if you know the, the team starts the half like this rather than putting them on and then immediately like a goal happens um but you know like we almost gave up a goal within the first minute of the second half if it wasn't for like a really good intervention so I had no problem with the sub. I think that we're still trying to manage minutes and everything across various lines. So I was fine with it. I was hoping that it would make the team better. And then things kind of went south after conceding so quickly after the substitution, you're not really able to see what difference that makes because the game is completely flipped on its head with a two goal lead now. Yeah. So I think it was kind of a right idea. So, I mean, at this point, 1-0, we can't really think about the City game anymore, which was kind of, I think, the justification for not going 4-3-3 because we're playing this badly. And 
you need to win the games. It's going to be probably tight like this, especially versus a Champions League qualification contender. These are like six pointers, as people will say. So at this point, yeah, I think, all right, just think about what the hell is happening in this game because we need to salvage this and we're lucky not to be down by more in the first half. It's only 1-0. And so going 4-3-3, it would help us out theoretically a little more in midfield, whether that's defensively or just trying to gain a little bit of control. And I, I, taking out Corradera from offense is always a good thing. And if you're if you're trying to get back in the game, Kenty, like we need her. I mean, I rate Lucia a lot, and I think she's going to show us the quality she has. But it's been a really awful start for her Madrid career, playing at left back, which is not her first role. She looked like one of the more uncomfortable players versus City, and then today just not good in possession at all, which is uncharacteristic for her because that's a major strength. And I, I mean, I just think she's, she's just going to have to, it'll come with time. We'll see the real Lucia in a bit, but for her first two starts for Real Madrid, we haven't, she hasn't been good. And so, okay. Yeah. Bring Kenti on. We know what she can provide going forward. She's a veteran. So yeah, sure. I like subs, but I think the, the goal we concede pretty much just shows you why we could have done anything. There could have been any subs. We could have had Cardona back. It just wouldn't have mattered because this is the most inexcusable goal we can see. It's off of a set piece. No one is paying attention. It's an easy channel ball. And Alberto Dondo just makes the blindside run on Rocio, who's paying zero attention. And when you look at the amount of space, it's just a direct pass from the halfway line into the box that Redondo picks it up in so much space. And then she just cuts it back and it's an easy goal for, for Banos. It was a great like, finish, but it was a fantastic finish. It was a long range strike. Misa couldn't do anything, but dear God, I on a like, free kick situation at the halfway line to have what is essentially a ground pass into the box and all that happened was a run in behind the defense that creates a goal. I would, I would be furious if I was the coach because, I mean, what are you? That's just that's embarrassing defending. And at that point, it was just downhill. It just got worse and worse. And whatever hope I had that you know we can salvage this, even no matter how badly we played, that went out the window because that just told me, oh, we're we're not there. We're we are not we're in focused Manchester on this already. game. Yeah, we're Seriously. in Manchester. We're we think we're too good for this game or whatever is going on. And yeah, like that was inexcusable. It's it's one of the worst pieces of defending I've seen from this team and, and, and this general core of players. And watching that, re-watching that is gonna be it's not gonna be great because ulti- I think ultimately you could say like Rocio is like most at fault, maybe, but if you look at every single one of our players. Their backs are turned to play. They're jogging back calmly and they're not even watching the pass. And Levante do it by the rules. They just kind of take a quick, quick-ish free kick. And we were not switched on. And there's just absolutely no excuse for that. I can't mince words. It was it was embarrassing. Yeah, not much to add. And then I mean, you just look at what happens after I talked about the domino effect of players being out of position. You've got one player in the box that looks like she could receive a cutback. Ivana starts to step. Kasi's making a recovery run toward that area. And the cutback goes all the way through. And the entire team was anticipating the first player to receive the cutback. 
And that's why Banos has so much time. Like, able to take a touch, set the shot, fire. It was just completely like the team was unplugged. It's not like it's like someone didn't tell them that the second half had started. These are mistakes that you do not expect at a professional level, especially with that quick free kick. I mean, to be able to play a quick free kick like that all the way into the box is just inexcusable. I mean, for like high school teams, I don't, yeah, I don't know. It was, that was the moment. It was the nail in the coffin where you're just like, this team is not, they're not here. It was just bad, 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 bad. Yeah. My high school coach would have just taken off the entire side of that defense. And in like an unlimited sub situation, he would have just been like, nah, that that's not accepted. Just taking us all off. And it would have been suicides right after the game because that was terrible defending. So Osnar keeps trying to react 67th minute, Caroline Miller Hansen on for Naikari Garcia, 75th minute, Loren on for Athenea, and for some reason, Bobby Peter on for Teresa. I literally just didn't That's matter. That's just got to be all. minutes, I think, right? Yeah, I mean, sure, maybe. I'm at guessing like some, some sort of back three thing to get us to, to, to create more width and allow us to go forward with greater intensity or whatever. It literally didn't matter because our performance got even worse after the second goal. And there was literally just nothing happening for us. There were maybe a couple moments where Esther helped us get the ball up the pitch. And, and that's about it. The second half was just dramatically worse than the first. And the first was really bad, which is saying something. And then to cap it all off, Levante score in the 80th minute. I say cap it all off, but they actually have another goal after this. But I think maybe just to cap off this long stretch of dominance they have, because there is a bit of space between that second goal and the one they score now. Really, really nice. Switched over to Alaria, who amazing control around Olga. And just emphasizing again, they were playing at a very high level. And they play that little combination down the wing. And again, just defenders coming all over the place peter coming all the way up stepping up and it's a nice little third player action right so aladia controls plays it forward wall pass lofted ball over the top down the flank that's a classic up back through combination exploiting the third player run as aladia goes in behind completely free and she puts a, uh, a nice little pass into the box to Another runner who's free in that right channel, just the defense falling asleep across the face of goal. Redondo scores a tap in. Very, very nice goal. Almost as good as the first one. Yeah, I mean, Levante were great. So, yeah, there was that from Levante. And I just, I just think it demonstrates how excellent they were on the day. It's, it's really high-quality football. And, again, like, we were playing like shit, but – the speed with which they took advantage of our organizational mistakes is what's like really impressive without hesitation, seeing openings and just instinctively working through theoretically sound patterns to attack space, which is the sign of a well-drilled team. And I, I was impressed by that. Like they were really good. Had we come and, and, and been on our game, it would have been an extremely tough match and they still might've beaten us. So when we come playing the way we did, it's really not a surprise that it ended up being four nil. So yeah. And then just kind of cap it all off at beauty of a long range goal to beat Misa fired off the underside of the crossbar by Tatiana Pinto 
who came on in the 84th minute for Alba Redondo. Redondo had a great game. I think going back, probably underrated with how dangerous her runs were in behind. They were so well-timed and I think so far showing that she can be a really good replacement for Esther as a focal point of the offense and goal-scoring force. But yeah, Tatiana Pinto comes on. She nutmegs somebody. I can't remember who it was. I think it was, was it Zornoza? No, it was Rocio who steps up. So she beats Zornoza. Rocio steps up. Nutmegs, gets nutmegged, fired off the underside of the crossbar, 4-0. And I mean, that's the that's the end, basically. Rocio, boy, she had a, a terrible debut versus her former side. I, I'm, I'm pretty sure that's not how she imagined that going in her mind. Again, like collectively, when the organization is that bad, the center backs always look the worst. But she didn't. She didn't handle handle herself well, and she didn't. She didn't do herself any favor with how she defended, which would be a surprise in isolation. But on the day, everyone was playing like that. I guess. Um, I mean, I'll just say Rocio is not that level of defender. When her and Ivana played together in the past, they were considered one of the best central defensive pairings in the league. So I wouldn't say this is reflective of her quality, but I regardless of whatever is theoretically sound she was terrible on the day and even though it was collective failure she was probably the worst defender I mean harsh to single out individuals but when you go back and think about each goal she was just asleep the the last three goals especially it was all down her side or she was the last player to or the one who needed to make an intervention she wasn't there so really poor from her unfortunate to have to say that and hopefully we see we see her real quality going forward because boy it, it can't be like this for sure we signed her I think to be competitive with Peter in that position and provide some real competition as the best second center back so yeah I, anything else Grant you want to say about the goals about individual performances because I, I think we've, we've covered the general aspect of this game again it's not that complicated what occurred no, I don't have much to add to that. Okay, so yeah, that's it. I don't really know if we have much more to say. Again, credit to Redondo. I just want to emphasize the type of game she had. I thought she was really, really good. And maybe maybe she is getting her, her plaudits. I don't follow that many Levante Feminino fans, but it just felt like there was a lot of talk about other players and just kind of quiet about her, which... Again, when I go back and look at the film, her runs were so dangerous and she's going to be a very interesting player to watch because now the limelight is on her. I mean, she was a great player last season, but she's taken a step up in terms of responsibility and load. And so far, it kind of looks like she can handle it. So one to watch, especially because all the other big clubs will be circling and they'll be like, who's the next good player from Levante we can poach next? And I'm sure she'll be on the list. So we will be back with you guys for the Manchester City game, three days, September 8th. Really hoping we shake this off and come in with something better because Manchester City blew Everton, right? It was Everton. They just blew them away. Yeah, and, this 4-0 is going to look close if we play like this against City. Yeah, so City have managed to shake it off. They're getting into their groove. Again, we played really well. I don't want to take away from our performance, but... City will be a bit of a different team when they play us because they were not necessarily in their rhythm. They, they really didn't have a preseason. And I guess the game versus Real Madrid and the one versus Everton was their preseason. So they're going to come in wanting to, I think, make a statement, probably feeling a little embarrassed that as the favorites, they were outplayed the way they were. They're going to want some revenge. It's, it's a home ground as well. 
and they're gonna smell blood as well off of this 4-0 defeat to Levante. So we this is where we gotta show our character. We gotta show our character, our resilience, the younger character, DNA, blah blah blah, come back and go in and put in a completely different performance versus Manchester City. Otherwise, we're going out of the Champions League. So it is what it is. We'll be with you guys on that day recording and posting the show hopefully a much happier one than the one we had to today where I, I don't think we've ever been as brutal on the team as we at the game but I, I mean I, I think it was completely warranted so Grant thanks for doing this with me and uh I'll Madrid talk to you later. Uh, Madrid.